Hello and welcome to the Community Hall uh, at Ledbury Poetry Festival. My name's Dee, I'm the Young People's and Children's Officer for the Poetry Festival. Um, I'd like to thank our sponsor, the Arts Council of England. Um, so I'd like to introduce to you AF Harold and Chris Riddell. What can you find in a poet's beard? Thank you. Thank you. A little round of applause for the nice man. Okay, hello, thank you. Welcome to, uh, well, I say welcome to Ledbury, but most of you probably live here and I'm the incomer. Uh, I've never been, uh, no, I, I've not been here for a long time. So it's not for me to say welcome to you, to your own town, because that's a bit weird. You should be saying welcome to, to me and Chris, really. This is my friend Chris. Uh, during the show, Chris is going to draw flattering pictures of what's happening, and I'm going to say poems out my face, because that's what I do. My name is Ashley A.F. Harold, um, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to just read some poems from some of the books that are available for sale at the back of the room at the end of the session. Just mention that. Uh, I'm going to begin with a poem about, about breakfast, because I always think that's a sort of good way to begin a sort of poetry session, is how we begin the day. Uh, hands up, anyone here who has ever had breakfast? You know, a few of us, brilliant, a few people, excellent. Put your hands down, put your hands down. Now, this poem you will find in, in this book, Things You Find in a Poet's Beard, which is a book of poems by me, illustrated by my friend Chris, here. Uh, because it's such a good poem, you'll also find it in this book, uh, Midnight Feast, which is an anthology of poems about food that I put together that is illustrated by Chris's daughter, Katie. Uh, so Chris and Katie have both illustrated this poem. It's also in this book. <laughs> the book of Not Entirely Useful Advice, which is illustrated by a friend of ours called Minnie Gray. And it's this book that I'm going to read the poem from, because it's the biggest of the books, so the print is largest. This poem contains in it such useful advice that it may well save your life one day. If you listen to the poem and take a note of the warnings that I give you in it, you may well live longer than if you don't. If tomorrow morning, or in a week's time, or in 10 years' time, you die at the breakfast table because of the thing I warned you about in the poem, it's not my fault anymore. <laughs> I've got witnesses who will agree that I came here, I gave the warning out. What you do with that warning after that, that's up to you, whether you heed it or you ignore it. This poem is called The Perils of Breakfast. Um, and a peril is a threat or a risk or a danger. If you're in the big yellow book, it's on page three. If you're in one of the other books, it's on a different page. Uh, I, I didn't take note of that. The poem goes like this. Watch out for bears in your cornflakes. Bears are dangerous. Bears have got big claws. Bears are always hungry, at breakfast time doubly so. If you lift a spoonful of cornflakes up to your mouth and it's got a bear hiding in it, well, you'll be in trouble then, won't you? Eaten up, just like that gobble, gobble, crunch. <laughs> Fortunately, bears are larger than cornflakes. So it's usually possible to spot the little bit of fur poking around the edge. 
If you do spot a little bit of fur poking around the edge of the cornflake and the spoonful of cornflakes you lift it up, put it into your mouth, have for your breakfast, and just put the spoon down. Step away and have something else for your breakfast instead. But watch out for crocodiles in your porridge and watch out for tigers under your toast. Yeah, I know, I know, but not everybody else is as clever as me and you. That's why we come to events like this, to help save other people's lives. Now, I'm just going to check really quickly, to, just to make sure that you were uh, following along, to make sure you were listening. I gave you three warnings in the poem, you can shout out for this bit. I warned you about the bears that could be hiding where? In the cornflakes, yeah. I warned you about what might be lurking in the porridge crocodiles and where could the tigers be hiding under the toast okay a few people paying attention a few people know what's going on now you know and I know that those three dangerous animals bears tigers crocodiles are not the only three dangerous animals when I write a poem I want it to fit on a single piece of paper I can only fit a finite amount of warning in there so hands up we do hands up, no shouting out. We do hands up. Hands up, who can think of another dangerous animal we should be watching out for at the breakfast table? Any suggestions? Uh, young man in the red T-shirt at the back there. Lions, yeah, lions. We know where the tigers are. We're looking at the toast now. Lions. Hands up, who could tell us where the lions might be hiding at the breakfast table? Where do the lions lurk? My friend here. Yeah, lions in your eggs. Eggs. I'm going to offer you fried eggs, boiled eggs, scrambled eggs, poached eggs, uh, whipped eggs, stacked eggs, flipped eggs, beaten eggs, eaten eggs, drunk eggs, raw eggs, egged eggs, <laughs> deviled eggs, pickled eggs, in your boiled eggs. So you crack, you crack the top on your boiled egg and just flip the top off there, what would, what would the giveaway sign be that you've just cracked the egg, uh, cracked the top on a lion, uh, lion egg, an egg with a lion in it? And we know bears, bit of fur poking around the edge. What are we gonna spot poking out of the egg? Dude, this isn't a biology class. Let's, <laughs> let's use a little bit of magical realism. It'll be fine. Uh, what's gonna be the, the the sign that there's a lion hiding in our egg. It won't be watery. Yeah, it won't be watery because lions, they're all furry, aren't they? They absorb all the water. So if your egg, when you whip the top off, is dry and fluffy. <laughs> my, my friend Chris is also a political cartoonist for the, for the Observer on a Sunday morning. Um, so if you spot a dry and fluffy <laughs> egg when you... <laughs> I thought not giving him a microphone today <laughs> would make things easier. So you've 
chopped the top off. You found your egg inside is dry and fluffy, and uh, there's probably a line as in there. How are you going to keep yourself safe? What will you do with that? Because you're not just going to stick your fork, your spooning, because that's going to upset the lion and it's going to bite your face off. Um, so how do you keep yourself safe? Any ideas what we could do with that egg to stop ourselves from getting eaten, attacked, mauled to death by the lion in there? Any thoughts? Yeah, it's going to take a while, though, isn't it? going to have to wait. Um, any thoughts? My friend. Hide under the yeah, just hide under the breakfast table. I mean, just like this, just. It's going to be fine. It'll be fine. Ow. Okay, I'm now, I'm, I'm now going to. I've never yet claimed on my public liability insurance, but there's, I just see it as a way of saving some pocket money up for when I need it. Uh, okay. It's like 10 million pounds, my public PLI, so you know, one day it'll be worth it. Oh, I'll split it with a school child, probably. Um, okay, a second breakfast poem from this book. Uh, this poem, moving on, moving on to page uh, three, four, five, six, seven, page seven, I think, in here. This is a poem about toast. My friend Minnie, who did the pictures in this book, she's, she's not very good at drawing toast, you see. She decided she couldn't be bothered actually drawing toast. So she just photographed some toast and uh, collaged it. Um, any observant? Any, anyone spotted anything? Uh, yeah, my, my friend in the middle. Oh, it's not a fish. It's not a fish. It's not a bee. Were you not listening to the advice I gave you in the first poem? It's a tiger. Yeah, it looks... It's orange and stripy. It could be a bee. This is a boastful poem about toast. For breakfast... I like to have the most toast. I'll have three slices if you take two. If you have an extra one, well, I'll have another. If the bread's run out, I'll steal it from my brother's plate. I should have a medal for the toast I've eaten. It'll be a winner's medal because I've never been beaten. You can't have my medal because you're not at enough. When the toast gets going, my teeth get tough. I eat the most toast because I want to be the best, but I ain't no good at playing a piano. I can't write a seagull or paint a great play. I never scored a goal at home or away, so... I eat the most toast. I eat the most toast. I know it's a boastful thing to say, but I can eat toast. I can eat toast. I can eat toast all day. Now, when people see me coming, they all sing, Here comes a toast man toast! Which is embarrassing. But true, eating toast is my skill, so what do you do? 
And one of the reasons I like that poem, it ends with an open question. It ends with an open question. I'd like you to ponder for your, just amongst yourselves for a moment, what special skill do you have? What special talent do you have that could equal my unique ability to be able to eat more toast than anyone else? An open challenge there. Uh, anyone got a special, unique talent? Uh, I don't want boring talents. I don't want ordinary talents. Do you think you've got a really special one you can share? I said this to a girl. I was in a, a library in Kent, Gillingham. Now, I got off of the train in Gillingham, got picked up by a librarian and driven to random libraries in places I'd never heard of. You have to be very trusting in this profession. We get into a lot of cars, don't we, Chris, with librarians and get driven places. And I said this question to a group of uh, kids in this library there, and the girl said, I'm very flexible. And I said, what does, that, what does that mean? And she came up, and she went like this. She went, <laughs> except she went all the way and held her ankles and just started rolling around. And I thought, I'm not convinced I should have allowed this on stage, and I'm not convinced my insurance will cover this. And the next girl said, I can do hands-free cartwheels. And I thought, we are definitely not doing that on stage in the library. Thank you very much. I'm just going to trust you, love. My friend here. I can do the splits. You can do the splits. And so, hang on, if you can both do the splits, that's not a unique talent, is it? It's a good talent. It's an impressive talent that we are not going to see this morning because I don't want to risk... <laughs> someone breaking in half on the floor here because that will take away the that will distract from Chris's beautiful drawings. Um, anyone else got a special talent? Anyone got something? My, my friend. Intense jokes. Intense jokes. You just do jokes when you're camping. <laughs> Twenty-five years I've been doing this, just for that one. Intense jokes. How intense are your jokes? Would you be able to tell me one now that is suitable for the ears of grown-ups that will not melt our brains? A sort of semi-intense joke. Uh, or do you want to save it for a safe space and just you know, let us think that's the dude with the intense jokes? Why did the plane crash? Why? I'm just going to repeat this so everyone out the back can hear. Oh, God. <laughs> Why did the plane crash? Because the pilot was a loaf of bread. Because the pilot <laughs> was a loaf of bread. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. I mean, how, how they passed the flight. They're quite rigorous exams, piloting exams, in the first place. The fact that they got through all of that and then found out they were toast at the end of it uh, is, is challenging. Thank you very much, my friend. What's your name? Kit. Kit. Remember, no kit next time. <laughs> Not allowed. Okay, name on the door. Brent, good to meet you, my friend. Okay, I've got a list of poems we're going to read. Oh, I'm going to... I'm going to stick in this book. I'm going to stick in this book for a moment. Um, I've got a couple of short poems. I, 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 I'd like doing short poems because it hardly gives Chris any time at all to do anything. Um, and... Frankly, I live to frustrate him. Uh, this, is, this is a poem about when I became a farmer, right? And it's quite a steep learning curve. And this poem's called uh, The New Farmer Learns. I wish I'd then known then what I now know now that it's eggs from the chicken, milk from the cow. 
You see, my first day was rainy, but worse than that, I drank chicken juice with a soft-boiled pat. Um, there's, it's important to uh, get that the right way round, I tell you. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't do that three times. Um, the dangers of rock and roll. Page 29. Don't put a rock in a roll unless you hate having teeth. And be careful when rolling rocks in case you end up underneath. Uh, there we go. Oh, hopefully you shouldn't have been able to draw anything during that. During that. There we go. Um, the last of these little short poems from this book is about a rabbit, about being a rabbit. Hands up any rabbits in the room. One, just one. Very good. Well, you'll already know this, madam, but not everybody else will know this. Uh, page 48. It's called Rabbit Risks. It's about one of them risky things when you're a rabbit. The rabbit eating raisins has to be very careful she doesn't turn around and carry on eating raisins. <laughs> the reason is the raisins behind a rabbit aren't raisins. A rabbit should be stopping when it nibbles on a dropping. And I wrote this poem, I thought, well, that's a bit of fun, that's a bit of fun, a bit of educational fun, isn't it? A sort of warning, don't go around eating rabbit piles. There, a little warning. And then my better illustrator, Minnie Gray, who was doing this book, she said to me, she said to me, Ashley, um, I'm not sure that's entirely accurate. Actually, Chris, can you show under, Minnie's put a little note from the illustrator, from the illustrator there, just to, uh, and can, can you, uh, you hold it there, I'll read it out. This is a zoological note from the illustrator. She didn't tell me, she just put it in the book. Um, actually, I think you'll find that rabbits do actually eat their droppings as part of their normal diet. It's a way of getting enough nutrients. So there you go. All the smart, the intelligentsia of Ledbury already knew that. Uh, the rest of you are going, oh, what? I already knew that. Well, so did Minnie. So, so there we go. We try, don't we? Uh, but this book, this book is educational. Book and not entirely useful advice. It contains actual educational facts uh, in there. Okay, I am now going to read a poem about uh, blackbirds and bananas. Blackbirds and bananas. It's in here somewhere. Somewhere, yeah. Fortunately, in the front, I put a list. So uh, it's page 18. Unfortunately, we didn't put page numbers on a lot of the pages because <laughs> Minnie got carried away and did pictures that went all the way to the bottom. A banana is yellow with little bits of black. A blackbird is black with little bits of yellow. A banana grows up in a tree. A blackbird grows up in a tree. A banana is about the size of a blackbird. A blackbird is about the size of a banana. A banana is a surprising but not unheard of pie filling. A blackbird is a surprising but not unheard of pie filling. A banana, a blackbird. A blackbird, a banana. Listen, my lunchbox is singing. 
And it's an odd little poem. It's an odd little poem. But I am terribly fond of it. Um, who, who can tell me why a blackbird is a, uh, uh, an unfamiliar but not unheard of pie filling? Who, who knows where that? My friend. In the olden times, yeah, and there's a song about it. Four, four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie. When the pie was open, I'm not very good at remembering things necessarily, but it's tr it's there. It's there. It's in the folk tradition, isn't it, my friend? In the folk tradition. Okay. Oh. 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 I've just looked at my list. I know. I. I'm going to go off, off, uh, off the list for a moment, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, going to, I'm going to borrow three volunteers from the, from the audience. Three volunteers from the audience. We will have a young man in the blue top. We'll have the young man in the blue top. And we'll have the young lady in the blue top. There we go. Come stand up the front for me. Can each of you take one of these dice? A, A, die, A, die, A, die. There you go. These are normal six-sided dice. Chris has no idea what's happening now. I apologise for this, but in this book, the book is not entirely useful advice. I could only fit this much advice in because the book had to be this thick. I wanted to put more advice. I wanted to make kids safer than, than possible, but... The moment you start putting more advice, the book gets fatter, it gets more expensive, fewer people read it. So I invented this thing called the Advisatron 216, right? And this is a device for creating random bits of advice. And here, here it is. This is what it looks like. It's a chart on this page here. There are three columns to this chart. One gives you a random beginning to your bit of advice. One gives you a random middle to your bit of advice, and one gives you a random end to your bit of advice. And each of these has got six entries in. So that, me that means you can roll a six-sided dice and get a random entry. Very simple. In the first column, there are six. In the second column, there are six. So that's six times six. How many is that? Twelve. Thirty-six. Thirty-six. Six plus six. Twelve. Six times six. Thirty-six. We're all doing the maths. 6 times 6 is 36. There's another 6 option. So 6 36s. How many is that? There are loads of grown-ups. You'd think they've been through all the school. They've done all the tests and all the exams. Some of them have probably got maths A-levels there. No, it's a little bit more. Sorry? 216, yeah, that's why it's called the Advisatron 216. The clue's in the title, but good thinking. So what we're going to do, we're going to make some random bits of advice. You're going to shake the dice in your hand, lay your hand out flat so we've got a number, and your number will give me the number in the first column, the beginning. You'll give me a random number, and that will be the one in the middle, and your number will be the end of the thing. So what we've got, start off with, give them, give them a nice shake, and then just hold your hand out flat. And we'll see what random bits of advice we've we got. Say your number nice and loud. Three. Three. Five. five. One. Three, five, one. So then we look down the chart and we find that this bit of advice says, on Thursdays, talk to the Queen. <laughs> what day does she have to talk to the Prime Minister, Chris? You, you know these things. Is it, is it a Wednesday they have their meeting? Tuesday tea time. 
Tuesday tea time, so she's probably got Wednesday to recover from having to talk to him, and then Thursday she's feeling, okay, I'm ready. And it's just nice to sort of engage with her. Then it makes her cheers her up a little bit. Roll your dice again, please, and we'll get another little bit of random advice. Five. Five? Four. Two. Five, four, two. If lost, squeeze a banana. Well, it's well known, isn't it? Bananas are magnetic. They've, they've got, they've got uh, potassium in them that, that acts in a slightly magnetic way. If you squeeze them, the way the banana pops out of the skin will tell you where north is. And that will help you navigate home. Everybody, everybody know, basic, basic orienteering, this is. Basic orienteering. Well, don't squeeze it like that then. You've answered your own question, haven't you? If you're lucky, squeeze it in the middle, it'll pop out two ends. And then you'll just have to work something out. It'll be mad. It's just a bit of fun. Let's have some more numbers, my please, my dears. Okay. Two. Two? Five. Two, five, four. Two, five, four. Two. Always talk to kittens. I mean, that's just going to make you so happy, isn't it? Just going to, whenever you're feeling a bit down, because sometimes you feel a bit down, don't you? Sometimes life, sometimes life isn't brilliant. You feel a bit glum, things have gone wrong. What's going to cheer you up? A oh, little fluff, a bum, little fluff. Oh, yes. So, this, this is my cat, Susan. This is, this is a picture of my cat, Susan, on my T-shirt here. I, I was in a school, I was in a... I was in a school in Slough once, Chris, and uh, a kid said to me, how, how do you get um, your cat's face on your T-shirt? Because I had told them about it. And I said, well, first you have to iron the cat. Uh, and this kid went like this. <laughs> I had to backpedal. I had to go, no, 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 you take a photograph of the cat. And iron it. So, um, but we did actually iron her face. That's how it worked. One more bit of random advice. One more bit of random advice, and you guys can sit down for me. Six... One. 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 Six, one, one. Six, one, one. Okay, we know what the last one is. In the supermarket, eat the queen. <laughs> I mean, it's for her own good. She's obviously lost it if she's in the supermarket by herself wandering around. Um, that'll do it, yeah. So, can I have my dice back, my friends? Thank you. Go and sit down. A little round of applause for our dice rolling chums. Thank you. Okay, and um, an advisatron is something that you can, you can make yourself at home with a little bit of paper and charts. There is a blank version in the back you can photocopy. If you're a teacher, uh, you can download a blank advisatron form uh, from my website and you can use it in class, have a bit of fun. Um, but now I want to talk to you about something serious. Uh, we're going back on, back on course. No, Chris, back on course. Um, Right, I have the Tooth Fairy, right? We've all heard of the Tooth Fairy. Some of us are young enough that we're losing teeth, our milk teeth at the moment. Some of us are old enough that we're losing real teeth that aren't being replaced. Um, uh, but all of us, when, when that happens, we put our teeth under the pillow, put our teeth under the pillow, and next morning, 
a bit of cash there. I don't like to mention actual denominations because it really varies the different schools I go in. Sometimes I say there's 50p, they go, oh no, we've got a five pound note. Uh, and some places people go, oh, we've got 20p. And it just shows that some kids' teeth are better than others. Um, and it's, I don't want to you know, sort of go around pointing out your teeth are really good, their teeth are rubbish. But what puzzles me, right, and I've got a theory, I've got a theory. What puzzles me is how the tooth fairy always knows. We don't, your parents or you don't fill in a form on the internet and go, oh, a tooth came out, please come to 24 Smith Street tonight, thank you. Don't do that. You don't put a, hang a sock out the window or something to indicate there's a tooth here. It just, just somehow happens. And my theory about this is that the only way I can work out that this happens is that every night when you're asleep, Every night, when you're asleep, the tooth fairy creeps into your room, has a rummage under your pillow, just to see if there's a tooth. And that's the only way that it can be certain that the night the tooth there is there, that the tooth fairy gets it that first night. What this means is that 99% of the time, 99.9% of the time, the tooth fairy is desperately disappointed with you because there is no teeth. You start off, you're born with 30 teeth, 32 teeth that you lose in 10 years. And then after that, when you're a grown-up, Chris, I don't think Chris is going to mind me saying this, Chris turned 60 this year, which means probably for the last 50-ish years, that's sort of a round number, the tooth fairy has been creeping into his house every night, rummaging under his pillow, and finding no teeth. She must be so knocked off with Chris. <laughs> so upset. If Chris were accidentally to go to sleep with his head underneath the pillow one night, and the tooth fairy sneaks in and goes, oh, I hate this man, there's never a, oh! He's gonna wake up. And if, you, if you've got grandparents who've got dentures, maybe false teeth there, just ask them, Did, did you accidentally go to sleep with your head under the pillow? Did you wake up with some pliers and your yank, yank, yank? It's possible. That's my one theory about the tooth fairy. My other theory is that we hear too much about the tooth fairy, right? The tooth fairy's got what we call in the business good PR. But there's loads of other supernatural beings out there connecting bits and bobs that fall off and fall out of us who simply don't get the good press. And this is a poem to celebrate some of them. Uh, page 54, if you're following in the yellow book, Things You Find in Poet's Beard. This is called Lesser Known, but Not Less Important. If you think the tooth fairy has it tough, spare a thought for the fingernail pixie, who has to collect cast-off nail clippings. <laughs> then there's the earwax leprechaun, who scrapes the top sides of pillows and the leftover elf who scrapes plates. Not forgetting the poor old bogey bogart, or the dread-inducing dandruff banshee who screams foreteller full of hair snow. Looking sad is a belly button fluff gargoyle who waits on rooftops to collect drifting fluff, of which up there there's never very much. And finally, there's the pesky eyeball sprite who collects eyeballs that 
fall out in the night. He catches them in his silky paws and juggles. And, and that's that. And this is why I'm not allowed to speak to reception year children. Um, or, or year one even sometimes. Because uh, frankly, frankly, it's not worth it. Um, Chris, I was wondering, I'm going to go nab one of your books. I thought I might read a poem about a, po uh, about a hedgehog. Perfect. Yeah? Okay, I'm going to... Chris has put together some, some anthologies, and I'm going to grab one. Which one's it in? Who knows? It's in this one, I think. And I'm going to read a little poem about a hedgehog that I'm very fond of. In, in poetry terms, this is what we call a found poem, which means that I didn't really write it. I simply, I was wandering by a hedgerow one day along a, sort of, no, a country lane by a hedgerow, and I spotted in the bottom of the hedgerow a couple of bits of paper. There, a couple of little, weren't bits of paper, they were actually little postcards. And I picked them up and I took them home and I had to look at them and little bits of writing on, little bits of hedgehoggy writing. And I translated them into English, out of hedgehog-ease into English. And this is the poem that I made out of those four little postcards from the hedgehog. And that's what this, uh, that's what we called the poem, Postcards from the Hedgehog. And goes like this. It's in four parts. One. Dear Mum, beautiful weather. I saw a fox last night. Did, as you always said, and rolled into a ball. After a while, it went away. I was a bit scared, all the same. Wish you were here. Love, Simon. <laughs> Two. Dear Mum, lovely weather today. Just saw a really pretty girl. Not sure how to approach her. She makes me really shy, but just all warm inside. I rolled up into a ball. Wish you were here. Love, Simon. Three. Dear Mum, it's raining today. I ate a slug. Wasn't as good as the ones you used to give us. Tomorrow, I think I'll approach the girl. Perhaps I'll take her a slug. She makes me ever so nervous. I rolled up into a ball. Wish you were here. Love, Simon. Four. Dear Mum, Sun's come out again. This morning I was very brave and I went to see her. I edged up very carefully, as you suggested. But when I spoke to her, I discovered she was actually a pine cone. <laughs> I felt very embarrassed. Rolled up into a ball. Wish you were here. Love, Simon. Oh. And sometimes, sometimes life is like that. Uh, as they say. Um, I thought I'd read a, uh, a poem from... Uh, I thought I'd read the title poem 
is it I love the Ledbury Poetry Festival. Right? I love the Ledbury Poetry Festival. They're a fantastic, very fine, wonderful organisation. I've been coming for many, many years, uh, probably 20 odd years from doing the Poetry Slam and doing uh, grown up events and all sorts over the years. Um, and when they said, yeah, you can do a, do a family event, that'd be lovely, we'll have you along, have Chris along. I said, the book Chris and me did, it's called uh, Things You Find in a Poet's Beard. And they said, oh, do you know what? We'll name the event almost after the book. We'll call the event, What Can You Find in a Poet's Beard? Because that'll make people realise the book is a poet. But I love the Ledbury Poetry Festival all the same, even if that's a slight veiled criticism there. It may sound like they weren't entirely paying attention, but they did, they did spell my name right, they did spell Chris's name right, so we can't, we can't complain. But this is the title poem from the book Things You Find in a Poet's Beard. Um, I will point out, the book is called Things You Find in the Poet's Beard. You can check this on the, uh, on the title page. It's actually called The Things You Find in a Poet's Beard. So even the book can't agree what it's actually called. So let's not worry too much about it. Uh, this is a poem about my beard. There are fleas and flies and knots and knits, breadcrumbs, marmite stains and bits of pencils lost in the distant past. Coffee dribbles from a thermos flask, spiders, webs and sparrows nest, string that they use for old men's vests, bits of dinner from yesterday, orange pips and strips of hay, chips glued in with tomato ketchup, bits of driftwood sometimes fetch up and tangle about in the twisty hair. A poet grows on his chin and there are knitting needles, lengths of Oh no, hang on, there's a porcupine. Koala bears peer out and chew. There's a cockatiel and a cockatoo. A sloth blinks slowly under the fur. And if you listen close, there's a happy purr. <laughs> it happened once that Sir Simon Bungle became entangled in the furry jungle. He tripped while walking near a poet. Tripped and slipped and who would know it? He fell head first into the beard. Inside was just as he had feared. Dark like a forest and ticklish too. So he simply did what he had to do. Trained by the army, he'd been to the pole, was an expert in survival and that rigmarole. So he ate all the chips, of which there were nine. Made himself a ladder out of string and twine. And after exploring, around and about, he let down the ladder and he climbed straight out. So, it's thanks to Sir Simon that we've seen inside the beard of a poet and there's nothing left to hide. It's dark and dangerous and terribly weird and even by the bravest is sensibly feared. So be well warned as a child well reared, never get entangled in a poet's beard. <laughs> and the reason one of the reasons I wrote that poem, I visit a lot of schools, right? I go and talk to kids in their schools, in primary schools, infant schools. I go, and I can always tell if I'm in a primary school or if I'm in an infant school. I can always tell because in a primary school, loads of kids come up to me, like at break time, just walking down the corridor. They come up to me and they say, can we touch your beard? <laughs> no, it's a safeguarding issue. No, you can't <laughs> touch my beard. That's how I know if I'm in a primary school. If I'm in an infant school, loads of kids come up to me and touch my beard. Um, much less arsky. So I wrote the poem as a warning to try to stop kids from trying to touch the beard. Because frankly, that's weird. Don't do it. If ever someone comes to your school and they've got a, a furry growth on the front of their face, don't touch it. Because 
it's weird for them and it's weird for you. Okay, just don't. <laughs> Even if you're walking down the corridor and you see, you see a chip just dangling there and you think, oh, I'm peckish, I could. You wouldn't notice. I could, just, I, just, I could get that. Just don't, okay? Even if he's walking down the corridor and you see a £20 note just rolled up and dangling there, and you, oh, you're tempted now, aren't you? A manky old chip. No, but a £20 note, you won't notice. I could. I could. Don't. Don't. £50, yeah, go for it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, good to meet a kid who knows the denominations. Okay, I was looking at the, uh, the tables at the back, tables at the back, seeing what books were available to buy after the show. Uh, and I noticed this one was there. This is called Poems for Seven-Year-Olds. And this is an anthology that I put together. That's why my name's on the front there. So this is a book of poems by other people that I thought would be brilliant for that sort of year one, year two-ish sort of age that I put together in a collection. So I thought since there are copies available for sale, I'd read some from this just to you know, show us the full range of available options. I'm going to read a couple of little tiny ones and a slightly longer one from here. So A.E. Hausman uh, of the Shropshire Lad fame, very famous grown-up poet. Uh, his little poem of his is called Infant Innocence. Uh, the grizzly bear is huge and wild. He has devoured the infant child. The infant child is not aware. He has been eaten by the bear. Uh, and this is a poem by Jo Cottrell, who is a living children's novelist and poet. She's living. She's actually contemporaneous with me and Chris, uh, so, which means we actually had to pay her to get... A.E. Hausman, he's been dead so long, you don't have to pay him at all. Uh, jo, we actually paid for this poem. It's called Disappointing Lemonade. And I am a lemonade fan. I am a connoisseur of many lemonades. There's nothing quite as nice as lemonade with ice unless it's gone unbubbly, which isn't half as lubberly. Um, that just made me, made me happy there, because uh, she speaks truth. She speaks truth. Um, this is a poem by Anon, which means nobody knows who wrote it, which means you don't have to pay anyone for it. You get it for free. Mary had a crocodile that ate a child each day, but interfering people came and took her pet away. Uh, some people got no idea of fun, have they? Um, when I got up this morning, I, we'd been staying in a B&B &B up the road there. When I got up, I had a sort of wander around, had a little sort of walk around town. I saw some of the views over the sort of valley over that way. Uh, it looked beautiful and it inspired me to pick this poem by Paul Cookson, another brilliant children's uh, poet, been going for ages, lovely guy, uh, called Go Explore the Countryside. So maybe give you an idea of what you might want to do this afternoon after you've done with the, the poetry. Yeah, so this is it's a little bit longer, this poem, then after this, We'll have um, just one or two poems and we'll be done here. A summer's day, a bunch of friends, bows and arrows, building dens, make believe and let's pretend, all of this and much more when, finding tallest trees to climb, leave reality behind, hide and seek and lots to find, losing track of space and time, a place to chase and seek and hide, go explore the countryside.
Rope swings over muddy ditches, stepping stones and building bridges, snagging clothes on hawthorn hedges, balancing on stony ledges. Buttercups beneath the skin, spinning jennies spin and spin, grass beneath the thumbs that sing, dockleaf cures the nettle stings, hikes to hike and bikes to ride, go explore the countryside. A piece of penknife poetry initialed love hearts there to see carved graffiti on the tree from here to eternity. Flat and smooth skimming stones, four-leaf clovers, pine cones, branches looked like monster bones, escaped from all the mobile phones. All of these and more beside, go explore the countryside. Be a cowboy, be a pirate, let the geography inspire it. Be a soldier, be a knight, find that stick to fight that fight. Forest shadows, grass that's high, a place to laugh or shout or cry, caves and bones and stones and rocks, blowing dandelion clocks, imagination far and wide, go explore the countryside. Let your dog run and run, lose your dad, hide from mum, there is space for everyone in God's fair ground, filled with fun, time for families to run wild, find that hidden inner child, a fallen trees, a crocodile, lose yourself and stay a while. Feel the secrets on the breeze, feel the past within the trees, eternity in flowing streams, rugged rocks and crystal streams. Go explore, go explore, go explore, it's what it's for, all of this and much, much more. Mother Nature's superstore, where geography, biology and history all collide. There's majesty and mystery, passing time from me to you, lots of things to make and do, yesterdays and something new. Go explore, you know it's true. The magic here, the magic there. Take your time to stop and stare. Be sanctified and goggle-eyed, satisfied and gratified. Come back to, come back to the magic of the countryside. And that is uh, Paul Cookson there, Paul Cookson Pope. The interesting thing, might not be that interesting, but Chris will understand this. The interesting thing is when, um, when you uh, submit a poem, when you give a poem to an editor to put in a book, they, they've basically got a flat fee. So Chris, got, uh, Paul rather, got paid exactly the same amount for that poem that's three pages long as Jo Cottrell did for her... Um, there's nothing quite as nice as lemonade with ice unless it's gone unbubbly, which isn't half as lovely. That costs the same amount as Go Explore the Countryside. Frankly, I don't know why he bothered, because <laughs> I, I wouldn't have put the effort in, but God bless him that he did. We love the people who make the effort, uh, don't we, Chris? Love the people who make the effort. Let's see, how are we doing for time? How are we doing for time? Oh, we've got a little bit of time left. Let's read some random poems. Chris, is there anything you'd like to say at this juncture? I mean, just, it's nice to give him an option, <laughs> you know. You see, it's writing very small. They can't read it at the back. Absolutely not, not, not thing. Oh, absolutely nothing. Oh, and oh, uh, I, but the glasses, a gla oh, nose. Oh, sellotape over the mouth. <laughs> little, so I, I, you, you're, you're, yeah, no, fair enough. <laughs> oh, okay. Why? Okay, he's, no, he's, this book was, which is another anthology, an anthology I put together, was illustrated by Chris's daughter, Katie. Do you want to say anything about Katie? No, no, proud father. He'd be moved. He'd be too moved to tears were he to uh, 
So, so I'm going to read a couple of poems from, from this. So these are about food. Are about food, I'm afraid. Uh, why? Because I don't like to interrupt. He says, for those at the back who can't read the writing, this is a poem about bread. Right, and um, we had some lovely bread in the green room yesterday, lovely local bread. Artis I thought you were gonna s weren't going to speak. <laughs> we had some lovely artisanal bread yesterday, and this is a poem by... Um, Oh, yeah, Hereford Hops. Is that what it was called, Hereford Hops? Yeah, lovely, smooth, but cheddary. Lovely, lovely uh, cheese. Uh, and this is a poem about bread by a beautiful man called Matt Harvey, a uh, friend of the festival, I'm sure. And it's addressed to some bread. So you have to imagine I've got some... Actually, um, Madam, can you stand up and pretend to be a slice of bread for me, just so I can address you? Yeah, it's, it's nice to have... So you're, I'm the poet... You're the bread, and I'm talking to you here. It's nice to have a sort of... Here we go. Have a, a focus. I love the fresh-baked taste of you, the sandwiches I make of you. If you go stale, my love won't fail. I'll always see the good in you, the bread and butter put into, the breadcrumbs round, the grateful fish, the soup-soaked croutons in the dish. If you go hard, I'll keep the trust. I won't discard a single crust. For you're the partner I have chosen, you make perfect toast from frozen. By crust and crumbs I plight my troth, I'll always, always use my loth. <laughs> Troth, loaf, loaf. There we go. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's, it's good to have someone to talk to there. Uh, beautiful loaf of bread. Beautiful loaf of bread there. No. Men, oh. oh, there we go. That is for you, my sweet. Thank you. Many years ago, I had an email. You get these every now and then. I had an email from a woman called Tiffany Taylor, who was a scientist at my local university, Reading University. And she was putting together a book of poems about, um, about evolution. So they were sort of science communication poems, trying to get the ideas of evolution over in some friendly poems. And she asked me to look over these poems and give her some sort of tips and advice to make the poems good. So she is a scientist by her day job. And every now and then she writes a poem. And I took one of her poems for this book because I thought it was so good. And this is a, a poem about, about Mother's Day, um, about making mum uh, breakfast in bed. So this is... Chris has never seen this before, so... I, am, I expect he'll just stay blank, probably. It's not a long poem. Mother's Day is coming. I dedicate this to anyone who is a mother, who has a mother, who had a mother, who is thinking of having a mother at some point in the future, who will in some way meet somebody else's mother. Anyone who's ever had any, any form of you know, relation with the mother at some point. Here we go. Mother's Day is coming, which means breakfast in bed. Although I know he means well, it's something that I dread. It's not the stodgy porridge or blackened toast I mind. I can live with all the eggshell, it's the mess he leaves behind. Butter on the counter, something sticky on the floor. Porridge in the cupboards, the jam splodged up the door. You might think that I'm ungrateful and I should let him be. The trouble is, my darling son has just turned 43. <laughs> uh. 
Now, I've got a lovely friend, I mean, I'm sure Chris knows him too, Roger Stevens. You know, lovely Roger, a brilliant advocate for children's poetry, a brilliant children's poet uh, himself, runs a Poetry Zone website. If you need reviews of poetry books and wondering what's happening, go check poetryzone.co.uk, I think, out. Roger, Roger will steer you right. A uh, little poem of his here, page 13. Uh, Never trust a lemon, it's a melon in disguise. <laughs> Never trust potatoes with shifty eyes. Never trust a radish, it repeats all that it hears. Never trust an onion, it will all end in tears. Um, and I always enjoy a lemon, melon, anagrammatic joke there. But that made me think, I've got a poem in here about an onion. Right, and this poem is about how you might use an onion, onion, an onion. And you might use an onion, an onion to um, defend yourself uh, against unwanted. I'm just going to find the poem so I can just show it to Chris so he's got a vague idea what's going on. Um, it is, it exists. It exists. It's in the school section. That's it. The value of an onion, page 68. Um, this poem might help you with, uh, just pop that up there. I, just, I have an onion anecdote to tell. So just have a glance at that. On my website, there's lots of videos of me reading these poems, right? And I went to visit this school once, Edgeborough School. It's a swanky prep school in Surrey somewhere. I went along and they'd watch some of my videos in preparation. They thought, we've got this man coming to the school. We might as well prepare the children. We'll watch a video. And they'd watch the video of this poem. Right, and this poem is about an onion. And I find the more you say the word onion, the less it means. Onion. Um, and what happened was I, I came into the playground, came into the library in this school, and the kids had brought from home onions that they wanted me to sign. <laughs> Normal, I'm very happy signing books, you know, things like that. But these kids had come into school and they'd all brought an onion they wanted me to sign. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, this probably happens to Walliams, I imagine. He's probably... There's kids coming up with things going, will you sign this? Fine, I, I will be obliging. So I was stood in the library, I sat in the library, and this queue of kids, queue of kids out here, all clutching their onions, going, oh, got an onion, all moving up one at a time. I'd take an onion from a kid, I'd get my Sharpie out, and I'd put my signature on the onion, and I'd hand the onion back, and the kid would take their onion, and go, yeah, I've got my signed onion, and they'd go out on the playground, and they'd run around. I don't know how much you know about onions. But one of the famous things about an onion is that they're made of layers. And the outer layers in particular are quite flaky. And if you bang your onion, that brown, crisp, flaky outer skin is going to come off. And suddenly you've got an unsigned onion. <laughs> and what these kids were doing, they were getting their onion signed. They were going out in the plague and running around. The wind blew a bit of skin off. They go, oh, no. And they joined the back of the queue. And I was sat in the library for about half an hour with about 10 kids cycling around with ever smaller onions, putting different hats on. In the end, I was signing shallots. <laughs> and I, I have promised never to sign another onion. However, if anyone does have an onion with them, I will sign it for you. Uh, but just once. Uh, and that's fine. And so, so I have a relationship with onions there. And this is my onion poem. 
from the book are not entirely useful advice. It is important that you realise that all the advice in this book is somewhat useful, but not all of it necessarily entirely. But it's up to you to use your brain as an intelligent young person in the world to work out which bits to follow and which bits to go. I think that's advice by being the opposite of what we should do. That's a sort of warning of what not to do. It's up to you, frankly. Here we go. Always keep an onion handy. They're good for self-defence. If someone tries to beat you up, whip out your onion and say, look, behold, an onion. The great onion of dreams. The magic onion of Derek. Stare upon it and shudder. For it is an astonishing onion, an onion of power and fear. Gaze upon its majesty in awe. Tremble before this onion. And then, when the bully is thoroughly confused, kick him in the shin and run away. Um, I should point out, in the middle of the poem, there's an asterisk. After the word Derek, where it says the magic onion of death, there's an asterisk that leads down to a footnote here, uh, which says, insert your own name or another name of your choice that you think sounds impressive. So you don't have to say the magic onion of Derek, you can say magic onion of you, someone that you like. And Minnie, because we love Minnie, we love Minnie very much, uh, can you just show Minnie's, Minnie's note at the bottom? And she's given us some example names that you could cut out and keep. So magic onion and Derek. Here, Minnie has said, illustrator's note, uh, here are some names I found earlier. You could have Norman, Priya, Teresa, Chris and Katie. Chris happens to be here with us and Katie, his daughter, happened to have illustrated this book. So even without you knowing, Chris, you were in our thoughts when we were making this book. So that's just a little soppy thing, a little soppy thing between a poet and uh, an illustrator who he loves very much. Um, that I, I haven't said that to Chris before. He didn't know because he's not read the book. So um, you, you put these things in, they hope people stumble across them by themselves. But I'm going to read one last poem. And this is a poem that is, it's in Things You Find in a Poet's Beard, but it's also the title poem of this book, Midnight Feast, that Katie illustrated. I'm going to read the version in here. It's all the same words, but um, it's towards the end, page 90 something. It's called Midnight Feast or Midnight Feasting. In there. And we started the session with a poem about breakfast. Right? We're going to finish a session with the meal before breakfast, the great midnight feast. And the important thing about a midnight feast is not that it happens at midnight. It doesn't matter. It can happen at 11 o'clock, could happen at 1 o'clock. The important thing is everybody else in the house has gone to bed. Everybody else is asleep and you sneak down to the kitchen. You open the cupboards, you open the fridge. You get all the food out, you shove it in your face. That's the important bit. And this is my poem about, about doing that. I'm 
slipping on my slippers and I'm slipping out of bed. I creep into the kitchen because I'm wanting to be fed. It's the middle of the night and there's no one else around so I can eat what I like and I eat what I found. There's half a pound of butter and there's half a loaf of bread. Several dozen kiwi fruit, I shove them in my head through the hole in the front. Ah, I like to call my mouth. I swallow them directly and they're all heading south. There are kippers in the fridge, there's treacle on the side. I dip the one into the other, send it for a ride. There's an aubergine I munch, a tin of rice pudding. I open it and swallow it and boy it is a good one. Cause now I'm getting thirsty. I drink a pint of milk, all mixed with mustard powder. Slips on smooth as silk. I follow that with cornflakes, I follow that with mince. I follow that with curry and I give it all a rinse with the cartons of juices, both the orange and the carrot. In no time at all though. I'm squawking like a parrot because I'm feeling rather odd. I'm feeling slightly sick. Oh. I creep back up the stairs like an old man with a stick. As I climb into my bed, I'm feeling rather fragile, like somebody's been hitting my stomach with a cudgel. Oh, that actually really hurts. Oh. Oh, Kit, whatever you do, get yourself a proper job. Don't end up having to do something like this when you're a grown-up. This is just stupid. Become an accountant, make your mum happy. Buy her a, 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 buy her a holiday home in Cornwall. She'll, be, she'll love you for it. Okay. Oh. Oh. I don't regret I did it, though. I don't regret a thing. And while I'm turning greener, at least I get to sing. I'm slipping on my slippers and I'm slipping out of bed. And the rest of the song is the poem, I Just Read. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Thank you very much for coming out on this warm, sticky Sunday morning. Uh, I mean, God knows that you've not gone to see him today. You came to see us instead. So we feel very, uh, very uh, honoured by that. Chris's dad was a vicar. So this is a bit like church, so you're all right. You probably got a, no, a mark in the present but not present column. Excellent. Look at the picture. Children's Poetry and Politics, yes. Something for the grown-ups <laughs> and something for the kids. That's us, a little bit of, little bit of uh, blue. Um, I'm going to stop talking, basically. What we're going to do, we're going to come down off the stage and go to the bank where there is a bookshop and we will sign anything that anybody wants. But I just want to say thank you once again for coming out, supporting us, but more importantly, supporting the Ledbury Poetry Festival that's been running for so many years and especially starting up again after the last few years, the fact that so many people are coming out to so many events means that the future is getting brighter and brighter uh, there and poetry is going well and strong. And we need to put these steps back so Chris can get down. Um, I just realised that. Uh, and, and the more people just stare at me, the more I, I, I witter. Do we, are you going to tell them to go or shall I, shall I actually... I tell you what, I'm going to just take my microphone off. 